You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, June 1st, 2022. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about Obi-Wan Kenobi, episodes one through three. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta. And joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film's resident Star Wars expert, Brian Young. Hey, Peter. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we saw each other in person this past week. My voice is still recovering. So if you hear anything, it's it's because my voice went out from having so much fun at Celebration. Uh, Brad could not be here because, you know, he, he got sick at the convention. So uh, we, we hope that he gets better soon. Um, but we are here to talk about Obi Wan Kenobi's epi- Obi Wan Kenobi episode one through three. I don't think we can go as in depth as we normally do because we got three episodes to talk about. But um, before we get into that, uh, Brian, how was your celebration? 
Oh, celebration was amazing. Celebrations are always amazing. This was my 10th celebration. Oh, wow. And, How many has there been? Um, there have been 10 inside North America and then two or three in Europe and then one in Japan. Um, wow. I missed celebration four, which was the one in L.A. Um, and you I missed went... one of the easy ones, Brian. Well, you know, I was working on a movie, actually, and uh, uh, it was a documentary, so I didn't have a whole lot of money producing it uh, <laughs> so i i contented myself with with watching the coverage come in because social media wasn't what it is now and i regretted missing it and was like i never want to miss another one again and then a european one rolled by and i was like man i really wish i could have made that and so i went to the most recent uh europe celebration and i've already got a, a hotel room booked for the for next year's london celebration i haven't booked it yet i gotta i gotta get going on that uh but in, celebration well you know it, it feels like you know the last time we gathered for a celebration was in 2019 and i wasn't even at that one that one was in chicago uh, i kind of forgot what celebration was like and it's such especially you know living all these years online in the Star Wars discourse, which is very divisive. There's a lot of negativity. I completely forgot how positive everybody is at Celebration and how everybody's just there to like celebrate what they love about Star Wars. Yeah, no, that was really... Celebration 1 was my first celebration, right, in 99, and I didn't realize such a positive space could exist <laughs> you know, i mean like i grew up during the dark time right like i was the one kid who was an outcast you know like i had a few friends that were into star wars and after that it was like everybody else was like why are you into star wars like that's so forever ago or whatever yeah um yeah, they've always been positive going back to celebration one right you know when i was a kid i grew up in the dark times and you were like a weird outcast for liking Star Wars, so you'd only have your core <laughs> little group. And Celebration 1 was really the first time I realized that there were a whole bunch of us, right? I didn't quite realize how popular Star Wars was. You just had to find the right group of people, and this was really before the way the internet is now. It was barely the early days of the internet. And Celebration, all the celebrations since then have managed to maintain that spirit, I think. No, I, I, I agree. And, uh, it, you know, I bring up Celebration because we were there when Obi-Wan Kenobi came out and we were at the opening panel at Lucasfilm, the Lucasfilm panel, where they surprised the audience and said, you're coming back tonight for the world premiere of the first two episodes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. So that's how we experienced those two episodes in a crowd on a big screen with the cast and crew in attendance. So um, probably unlike a lot of the people listening to this podcast. Yeah, there was there was even a red carpet and like the Star Wars red carpets, which I know, Peter, you and I have both done. Um, they had the costumes out, you know, sort of on display the way they have for the last few um, Star Wars premieres as well. They really they really did it up like it was a legitimate red carpet premiere for everybody, even though we were crammed into the uh, the event center, the Anaheim Convention Center. Um, you know, we always start these things off with our brief reaction. So I guess let's start off with that. And we're going to do our brief reaction of, you know, what everything we've seen thus far, episode one, two, and three. And I'll start things off. I I think I was a little cynical about this show and does 
is there a story that needs to be told? It feels like, you know, the Skywalker saga has kind of told everything we need to know about this character at this point, or that's what I had assumed. Is there really a reason to do another story? And I, I've expressed this uh, criticism on this podcast in the past. And I think, you know, they pulled out the the one reason to to get Kenobi to leave Tatooine, uh, the only reason to, to get him to leave. And, uh, I, you know, I bought it. I was into it. I, I, I'm, I'm no longer, you know, cynical and skeptical about this series. I, I, I am into it. I guess my, my cynicism has turned to a a different part of the series. And that is, I, I kind of wish this was a movie and not a TV show. We can get into that a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, what is yeah. your uh, brief reaction to the first three episodes? So I think this is this is a show that's tailor made to push all of my emotional Star Wars <laughs> buttons, right? You know, I'm a huge prequel nerd. You know, like my favorite character is Anakin slash Vader. Um, you know, I got a kid named Anakin. Um, my favorite relationship in Star Wars is that bond between Master and Padawan, and then you know, Sith Lord and Jedi enemy. And so showing us this midpoint in their relationship during Obi-Wan's exile is something that's really geared toward what my predilections and what I'd like in Star Wars are anyway. But then, you know, spoiler alert, throwing a young precocious Princess Leia into the mix Hmm. um, on Alderaan, getting more scenes with Brea and Bail Organa is it's it's magical to me it, it feels like for every one of these disney shows they're like leaving something out of what the marketing for the first episode you know with mandalorian obviously the the fact of uh grogu baby yoda uh you know here leia that's like something that they completely have left out of the marketing yeah and i mean i'll be honest like i hadn't even i'm sure maybe you heard that leia was a possibility i know we'd heard I know you and I had had conversations maybe maybe two years ago even that they were looking for a Luke for this. Um, and then the casting announcements or the casting calls came out for it and stuff. And it was like, okay, I mean, like obviously Luke's going to be involved. But somehow I'd never heard a whisper personally that Leia was a possibility. <laughs> I, I had heard some rumors about this plot, um, but that that isn't – honestly, when I had heard the rumors – it seemed very, it sounded very fan fiction y to me, right? Like it, it sounded like something I would read in the comic books. Like, um, not to say that the comic books are fan fiction y, I, I feel like I'm coming off wrong, but it, it, it does feel like those adventures are a little bit more uh, fun and superfluous than the movies and TV shows, if, if that makes sense. Um, uh, at times, I, I mean, there's times that they're they're very serious and very uh, integral to stuff. But um, so I was uh, maybe that added to my cynicism. But the way they pulled it off, and with this young actress who is in the writing that she, is behind her, and it, it really does ring of not just Leia but Carrie Fisher. Yeah, no, I think um, Vivian Lyra Blair has really she's done the impossible and sort of brought <laughs> forth that spirit of Carrie Fisher in this character and really embodied her in ways that I wasn't sure were possible. 
You know, like the way she's so astute and tapped into people and their feelings and her forthrightness. I think one of my favorite moments in the show has been in the second episode where she just starts taking command. She's 10 years old and she's (laughs) taking command of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And she's just like, no, we're going this way. Or like in this third episode when he's like, remember, you don't talk. And she's just like, don't talk or can't talk. And he's like, you don't talk. And then as soon as they get up to start bluffing, she just goes through and starts doing the bluffing. And he's the one who can't talk. Yeah. You know, one of the things surprising about her, because I, I kind of knew that that, that was going to be a part of the show, is I just expected it to be a young version of Carrie Fisher's Princess Leia. But I like how there's components of her character in the show that feel like you can feel Padme, you could feel Anakin. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And then there's threads of, there's threads of other iterations of it too. Like you can draw a direct line between this and Claudia Gray's uh, Leia Princess of Alderaan book, right? That happens a couple of years, a few years later when she's like in the Junior Senate and meeting Amalyn Holdo and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have not read that book, so (laughs) I've heard it's great. It is good, and there's a consistency of the character across her life that I wasn't expecting. And it's so interesting to see so many different eras of this character's life now. Now that we've been able to look at her end and now um, her beginnings and this this tween area. Yes. Um, Well, you know, one thing they did not show to us at the world premiere at celebration was everybody watching this on Disney plus are greeted with this recap kind of like, um, how TV shows do a previously on, but instead of it being, you know, previous seasons, it's the, uh, the prequel movies. And I got to say, Brian, I know you are a huge fan of the prequels. I'm, I'm coming around to them more, more and more these days. I I, I never hated them, but I, I feel like, uh, I didn't love them as much as you. This recap makes me like it, it, it. I come away from this recap being like, oh, my God, I got to revisit the prequels. This is awesome. So the thing that I've really loved about this show yeah. um, is that really it's treating the prequels with the gravitas that I feel from them. Right. Yeah. Like the prequels, the way you saw those recaps and the way you got pumped for that recap, the way it was cut or the way like Obi-Wan has his visions of it in the show. Like that's how the pre like the prequels fire on all cylinders for me, just like that, like normally. So like, I'm really glad people are getting a taste of that. Well, I, I'm happy to come around to the prequels, right? <laughs> um, another thing I noticed when we were watching this, the world premiere, is the the show opens up with a new Star Wars branded intro that has the armor, has a mouse droid, and in my research for this podcast, Brian, I realized that apparently every one of these shows has a different intro. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah. I totally. <laughs> not notice uh do, do you think the fact that this has a mouse droid in it does that mean anything um, i mean i guess the armor doesn't mean anything right it means or... that those star wars show characters and their mouse droid cheese have, are finally getting to see the love that they they really wanted them to um 
No, I, I don't think it necessarily means anything. I think it's just sort of a different mishmash of... Um, it's just a different mishmash of characters with helmets every time and droids. Yeah. And I wonder if it's something like there's probably some story behind it. Like maybe the filmmakers behind each show get to pick which helmets are in there or something. Who knows? I'm now very curious about that. And I'd like to go back and analyze which characters were in which series and if it means anything, <laughs> probably not, but um, okay. So the show, uh, the first episode opens up with that order 66 scene which is incredible, but also um, probably badly timed. I mean, obviously this was shot, what, two years ago probably at this point. So they didn't know that there was going to be the events of this world and how that might reflect things. They they have, they have since put a, a, a warning card before the episode, I believe. I think um, it's just in the the show notes. Oh, it's the show notes. Yeah. Um, what did you think of the order 6016? And I should say, let's keep speculation to the speculation section. Cause I, I know where we're probably going to go with this. For me, order 66, both the tone of it, the look of it, the feeling of it, um, really, it puts me in a very certain frame of mind. Like it's really emotional right off the bat. I wasn't thinking about the real world implications to be honest. um, Yeah. Brad brought that up to us when we were outside after like, we, we did like a mini discussion for the slash film social and that it it did not even occur to me until that moment. Yeah. Like I didn't think about it because order 66, like, well, for one, like we live in a country, unfortunately where these shootings happen with way too much regularity. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like, which is part of the reason I think, I don't think the filmmaker should have like pulled it. I think it's something that we should be like, we, we're holding that mirror up, right? Like who is it that's going up and shooting up schools? It's the bad guys, right? Um, yeah. And it's organized for a reason for the bad guys. But it it just, it really punched me emotionally. And you see how much these kids are the same age as Leia 10 years later, right? And you know, at least for me, sort of cross apply that feeling of of watching Obi-Wan sort of start to piece things together in Revenge of the Sith when he and Yoda are going into the Jedi Temple and knowing that care that he has for them and then juxtapose that with him like not helping that other Jedi and him not stepping into help and him having to cut himself off from being a Jedi. It's hard for him. Where yeah. it seemed easy for Luke in The Last Jedi, this does not come naturally to Obi-Wan. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parallels between Luke and Obi-Wan uh, with Last Jedi and his position here. And I'm I'm sure fans will not be upset about that whatsoever. Um, I will say that, you know, when Brad brought up that uh, the school shooting, uh, after seeing uh, the first two episodes, I was kind of like... A, a, Taking back, and I think I mentioned to you guys, I was like, I'm surprised I didn't take that out of the episode um, because of the proximity. But, and I'll get to this later in speculation, I don't think they can take it out of the episode. I think this is a integral part of the story, and we'll get to that later. Well, I think the other thing is, though, too, is that, like, art does necessarily need to reflect life. and. Yeah these shootings are what life is in the United States right now. And 
like I said, they happen with such frequency that there was probably a school shooting that happened when they were filming it. There was probably one close to when they were editing yeah. it. There was one close to when they released it. There is going to be another one until people do something about it. And there's going to be another mm -hmm. one in the future, right? So it's like it, there's never like a right time to discuss that. So I don't I don't think we should ignore it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, okay, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention here is this is the first time. Correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but this is the first time that we're actually seeing live action clone troopers. By that I mean obviously we saw clone troopers in the prequels, but they were all CG. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I, um, I mean, aside from me going to Celebration and seeing Clone yeah, Troopers in live action. You know what I, mean? I don't think there were any in The Mandalorian when we got the Separatist sort of battle flashbacks. Um, this might be our first, our first live action Clone Troopers. Um, yeah. So no, I, I just no, thought that was a little bit. No, no. Uh, nope. Book of Boba Fett. Grogu's flashback to Order 66. Oh, yeah, you might be right. I'm wondering. Yeah, that's probably that's probably correct. Okay, um, let, let's jump around here. Uh, so Obi-Wan buys this toy from the Jawa Tika, who uh, is played by an actress who also plays the Jawas and Mandalorian and whatnot. Uh, this is the T-16 Skyhopper that he's leaving to luke we is this the same toy that we see luke playing with in a new hope theoretically so i think there's a couple of interesting ways they they're going to pay off this t16 skyhopper one way or the other yeah and we've watched we watch owen sort of cast it back at obi-wan and throw it in his face and there's going to be two choices that we have i think bringing it in is sort of Chekhov's gun and both are really compelling story moments and can reveal a lot of character. Either Owen sort of feels this regard for Obi-Wan and decides, you know, to take pity on him and give Luke the toy. Or Owen knows that Obi-Wan is right, but doesn't want to take anything from him because of his pride and gets Luke a T-16 of his own. I mean, the one that Luke had looked cleaner, but I mean, Luke could clean it. So Luke is in a garage where he's like cleaning droids all day. He could have cleaned his toys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I do like that Obi-Wan is trying to incept Luke with the idea of he needs to get off this wasteland of a desert planet. I think that's definitely the implication, right? Um, that he's trying to make Luke realize that there's a, a broader world out there beyond the horizon. And that's one of those things that's going to make Luke's binary sunset moment all that more effective okay so in uh, on Tatooine comes a Jedi on the run his name is Nori he's played by one of the Safdie brothers right um I don't have which uh it's Benny Safdie and uh he, he's trying to seek help from Obi-Wan but he ha has none to give and this leads to his death um Seems a little, little, little harsh for the of consequences for Obi Wan to be like, you know, leave me alone, leave the planet. But uh, what did you think of this whole plotline? I think this is Obi Wan doing his Obi Wan doing his job, but also 
Like, I think it's a really smart move for the filmmakers, especially as we were watching the teaser trailers, right? Trying to figure out why, why are Inquisitors on Tatooine? How did they get that close to Luke? And I think they answered that question really elegantly. They tracked a different Jedi there, and they don't know that Kenobi's connected to it at all. Right. There's no reason for Vader to set foot on it. There's no reason for them to know that Kenobi has a a contact with that place at all. It's just sort of coincidence that all of their paths bring them there. But, you know, the force works in mysterious ways. Yeah. Um, but but I thought that that was worth it to get that imagery of them and the scene of them confronting Owen and that feeling of danger about how close on their heels they can be at any time. It's just really good storytelling. Yeah. Let's talk about the Inquisitors. So this is a, a new concept to live action, but we've seen them in Star Wars Rebels. We've seen them in the video games. We've seen them in the comics. Uh, this is a group of uh, Force users. Are yeah. all of them former Jedi? No, not all of them. Some of them are like... Um, they talked in episode three a little bit about how some of the kids, the force sensitive kids would disappear. Some of them could end up in the inquisitorious program. Um, some of, I mean, like some of them could be, most of them seem to be former Jedi. Um, I don't know what Reva's story is. I don't know if she is. I know the grand inquisitor was a former Jedi temple guard and actually one of the ones that was there present at Ahsoka's trial. Um, so there's definitely some some crossover in in those ways um but they're not sith per se i know a lot of people are like uh like i actually read comments from somebody saying that this show was only two can be yeah this show yeah this show breaks canon because there can only be two sith and none of these people are sith um have these people not been following Star Wars for the last 10 years? I don't know. They <laughs> they would have to be because, I mean, otherwise, what is Asajj Ventress? What is Savage Press? What is Maul surviving, <laughs> right? Like, there's that line, that beautiful line that Sidious has in Clone Wars Season 5 where, where he says, like, um, you know, uh, there can only be two Sith and you are no longer my apprentice. Um so, like, there's definitely dark side force wielders. And, and they're not giving all of the secrets to these people, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Filoni talked in Rebels about how the Inquisitors are using those spinny blades because they're, like, cheat mode, right? Like, the only way they could stand up against the sort of Jedi that they're hunting is, you know, using cheat modes wherever they can. And the, the spinny sabers are part of that. For sure. And there's also, um, there's some other Inquisitors here. There's Fifth Brother, played by Sung Kang, uh, who is Han from the Fast and the Furious franchise. Uh, that character also appeared in Rebels. Yeah. Uh, was killed by Maul. So, spoiler alert for him. He yeah. survives the show and is killed by Maul. Uh, the Four Sister, I don't think we know much about her or Reva. Yeah, that's 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 correct. Um, the other sisters, I want to say second sister and seventh sister are the ones that we've gotten to know a little bit more in depth via Jedi Fallen Order, which is the video game, and um, um, Sarah Michelle Gellar's character, seventh sister on Rebels. And I believe their numbers is in the order they joined the Inquisitor program. So her being third sister means she's, the third female in line? 
although there's that whole line, uh, it will not change what you are. And she's like, what is, who, what am I the least of us? Which is weird because there is a four sister. So wouldn't the four sister be the least of us? Or um, does he? Wh- I think he means he- the least of us in that her upbringing. There's something about her, how she came to the order that is yes. lesser than the rest of them, which makes me wonder if she's not a Jedi or former Jedi. Hmm. Okay, we've talked a lot about young Leia here. Um, we should talk about her droid, Lola, which. I, I just fell in love with the, I went to the Hasbro booth at celebration and they had like a, this animatronic toy that's coming out for 80 bucks, 80 or 90 bucks. And Brian, I want it. Yeah. No, <laughs> so they cute. sent me, they sent me the pictures and I was like, they sent me the pictures literally like the morning after the premiere. And I was like, yep, that droid's <laughs> great. Lola, uh, Lola's got a lot of personality and, I mean, if they can get one to hover, too. I think that's the thing. Like, they just keep pushing droids a little bit where it's like, they'll never be able to make a ball droid. Like, Yeah, and then remember they had the the, the toy by Sphero. We were all, like, super impressed by that. I, I can imagine in the next year we'll have, like, a drone version of Lula. Yeah. That'll be crazy. Um, okay, so I wanted to ask you this question because this is something I felt during the premiere – and I didn't speak it to you after it because I thought maybe I was being crazy. But then I saw a few people online also expressing this opinion, which made me think I was less crazy, Brian. Do you think Leia isn't just clever and quick-witted with uh, her interactions with all these people on Alderaan? Do you think that we're actually seeing her use the Force to read people and find their truce? I don't think there's any question about that. I think that's the way. Okay. The, I, I think that's the way the filmmaking is like shot and um, presented. I think that I, I, I absolutely think that that's the case, and that's why Leia is so well suited to politics. Yeah. So Leia gets kidnapped by Flea and his gang. Um, they were hired by Reva to lure Obi Wan out of hiding, and. Uh, I'm guessing they're higher. Well, she said that she found a connection in the archives between Obi-Wan and and Bail or Bail. I don't yeah. know what exactly that connection is, but well, I mean, like the connection we watched this in Clone Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi and Bail were close allies. And yeah. in the archives, there's every reason for them to know that Bail's the one who picked up Obi-Wan post order 66 and helped him escape. Right. Like there, that's, it's they can make those those sorts of assumptions that maybe that got tracked so yeah and um i don't know i i think this whole uh plot is is a brilliant way to get obi-wan off of this planet but also at the same time for the first time ever brian it occurred to me is it weird that ben camp uh, obi-wan whatever you want to call camped out watching luke from afar but just but Leia is just as important and he didn't care to, you know, to oversee her upbringing. Go back to Revenge of the Sith, though. Like there's there's two things going on. One, in Revenge of the Sith, Bail Organa says we're adopting her. We're going to protect her. And in Alderanian culture, there's and I mean, I guess this is all from the books and stuff like there is no like there's not supposed to be any prejudice for like adoption. And it was something that they talked really publicly about. 
so that no one would be able to make that connection. Yoda told Obi-Wan specifically, take him to his family and watch over him. And while you're there doing that, I'll teach you how to commune with Qui-Gon. So, like, his mission specifically was to watch over Luke while Bail Organa took care of Leia. Fair enough. But it does seem kind of... Well, but maybe I mean, sexist like, in a way. Tatooine, like it, it, it kind of feels to me like Luke is thought to be the prophecy. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's it's like watch over. He hits the male. Oh no! It, well, I think Luke needed the protection from a Jedi more because he was in a more remote area, and that it was a place for Obi Wan to go in his exile because Tatooine is as. Uh, Tatooine is as is as important in the galactic scheme of things as Dagobah, right? Yeah. But Bail Organa taking Leia into she, she's Alderaan, in a palace, right? she's in a castle, yeah. she's protected. Yeah. Although that didn't stop her from getting kidnapped. So. <laughs> well, she was kind of being a jerk and not listening to her parents. It was I can you know, Bail and Bria can will find Leia exhausting. Yes. Okay, so Obi-Wan digs up the box containing his and Anakin's lightsabers, and obviously it's it's very easy to see echoes of Rey in the last shot of Rise of Skywalker here. Yeah. Um, do you think that's intentional? Oh, absolutely. Like, you don't, you don't pick that box, right? Like, because it's very intentional because we see the Obi-Wan here is like, he stinks, right? Like, even the Jawa is is talking about how bad he stinks. He's given up on everything. from Anchorhead. Yeah, and he's literally living in a cave so that his view outside the cave is Luke, right? He's not living life for himself whatsoever. And the Obi-Wan that we see in A New Hope, he has his hovel. He's living a little further away. He's cutting some of that umbilical cord with Luke, and the lightsabers are there in a position of honor in that in that box, right? So this yeah. is... This is the Obi-Wan that's given up on everything but the mission. And and we we're going to see that character change. We're going to see him turn into the man that can actually go and rent a place. <laughs> right? You know what I mean? Like and and be able to be a little bit further away from Luke. Something else occurred to me in this moment and uh this this is a thought that comes from a user on Twitter, O Katrina. Um you see with lightsabers, oftentimes the lightsabers pull from inspiration from from the masters or from uh, the lineage. Like, so if you see Ben Solo's saber, it pulls from Leia's saber in a way. Yeah. Um, and it's the first time I was thinking about this. Leia's saber looks a lot like Obi-Wan's saber. And I'm wondering, since all the stuff was being developed at the same time, you know, this was originally being developed as a movie and now it's a TV show in, you know, Rise of Skywalker, which showed Leia Saber. So, I'm wondering if there's a connection here, if, there, if this so is purposeful. I think there is, but I think it's it's a little bit more roundabout than you're thinking. If you look at Luke's green saber, it looks very much thematically similar to Obi-Wan's saber. They both have sort of that plunger to end. Um, yeah. They have that, that lineage in between Obi-Wan and Luke's. Right. And I think Leia's matching Obi-Wan's in that way is as much a design quirk to match Luke's in that case as Obi-Wan's. Mm. And you can see that that 
those elements sort of being passed down. But I think it's funny that like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan don't have those common elements because they're so drastically different. Obi-Wan yeah, varied yeah. by the book and Qui-Gon is like, eh, we're just going to wing it. <laughs> I will say this though. Um, who's the guy that does all the art of books? Phil. Phil Shostak. Yeah. He tweeted out uh, around the release of Fred Skywalker, some art of that saber, the Leia saber. And it doesn't say it's inspired by Luke's saber. It says it's inspired by Obi-Wan's saber. So I thought that was interesting. I don't know. You, you, might, yeah. be, you might be totally right, and I might be reading way too much into this. But uh, well, I just no, thought that I, was something I, I, I never thought think, of. I definitely think that there is some connection to those sabers, both Luke's and Obi-Wan's. I yeah. mean, of course, because I think the, the, the traditional sort of story goes that Luke learned to build his saber from notes that Ben left with his designs. And that's how Luke is going to teach people how to make sabers, too, using that sort of instruction. Yeah. Okay, so Obi-Wan follows Leia's trail to Dayua? Dayu. Dayu? Uh And this is a city planet, uh, kind of like Kursant, uh, but instead of it being, you know... Uh, sleek it's more neon like shanghai or hong kong or tokyo or blade runner-esque um and it looks really cool i i actually like the what did you think of this planet this new planet no i think it reminded me a lot of attack of the clones um and this is the sort of place where obi-wan like we we saw through clone wars and attack of the clones that obi-wan is really at home in these places and seeing a place that we're used to seeing obi-wan like this right like whether it's his cool collection when he goes and like sends uh, Elon Sleaze Bagano off to rethink his life and then cut Zam Wessel's hand off or to go in and like pick a fight with Dr. Evison and Ponda Baba. <laughs> He's very comfortable in these bar situations and, and that sort of environment. And here he he's kind of bumbling like he's 10 years out of practice on all of this. Well, he also is not really using the force much. No, he's not relying on that like at all. Yeah. Um, okay. So a little Easter egg here. Did you know, did you notice the, the one trying to sell him spice? It's actually Ewan McGregor's daughter. Yeah. Yeah. So, so making her the third generation of, of star Wars actors in that family counting, uh, Ewan McGregor's uncle is wedge Antilles. Yeah. That, that's something I actually didn't know about until a couple weeks ago. I did not know that Wedge was his uncle. That's kind of cool. Um, we see a clone trooper panhandling on the street. And uh, this is played by Tem. Uh, you, you know, obviously played uh, Jango Fat, played Boba Fat. And here he's playing a clone, which I'm guessing, it, you know, this is a cool easter egg to have in here to have uh him as a clone i'm sure we're going to see him in his clone in in other future mandalorian verse stuff but i feel like this has to be there more than just to be a fun easter egg what yeah what is your thought on featuring him here i think there's 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 two things going on with with featuring this clone here first it really grounds and ties obi-wan to his compassion for the clones and all that time he spent during the war but also that um 
conflict that he feels about these are the clones that turned on him. A Jedi seeing a clone is a really traumatic thing. If you go back and look at Rebels, yeah. look at how Kanan reacts to meeting Rex and Gregor uh, and Wolf for the first time, right? He pulls a saber out, and he's just like, nope, these guys, they turned on us. We're not doing it. And he has a hard time trusting them. And seeing Obi-Wan sort of reach that handout is is really important. I think it's important for Obi-Wan's character, especially as he's gradually coming back into his compassion. I think the other thing that's really important to note is that this is a track that we've started seeing in the Bad Batch and that we end that later. Um, and we see it in other places too, like in Lords of the Sith, it addresses this a little bit, but the clones that start retiring out of the Grand Army of the Republic as it's transitioned into the Empire and how Tarkin is like, eh, we can get conscripts for half the price. We don't need these people. How easily discarded they are. And it really talks about how disposable any life is to the Empire. Mm-hmm. Which to we me, see it also feels like later. it's like, I was going to say, to me, it even feels more of like a mirror of himself. Like he's seeing, you know, a person that was used to be part of something, uh, you know, it used to be part of this order. And now what has become? What has become of this person? Yeah. How different are the two of them? Yeah. Um, so we encounter Camille as Haja Estri a con man using magic to swindle money out of desperate people by convincing them he's a Jedi, which I think is such a cool idea. But it's also interesting that even though he's a con man, he's actually doing the job. He's just getting the money for it. Yeah, like I think it's like, I think it's a really dangerous thing in this era to pretend to be a Jedi, (laughs) which, but that's why... It, I, I think it really lends to the showmanship of the the con. Um, and it's really fun. But he's the sort of person who we realize, I, I don't, I think he's doing it to connect exactly with people like Obi-Wan, right? If Obi-Wan would have told him he's a Jedi and needed help right off the bat, I think the con, that would have gone differently because the people he connects Obi-Wan with, as we learn in the third episode are really connected to that underground um, escape mechanism to get the Jedi to the planet Jabim and to help them like survive and fight against the Empire. That is a very astute observation because I was going to ask you that. I was going to be like, if, if this guy can actually get people to safety, get them through you know checkpoints and do what he's claiming he can do, which it seems like is the case um, for money... Why the show, showmanship? You could just... I'm sure these people would be willing to pay the money without a Je- him being a Jedi and it, it, him not being, you know, a person that has to, like, fear for the <laughs> the Galactic Empire finding him because he's pretending to be a Jedi. So He's, it, he's acting as a target, a magnet. The magnets, yeah. like, he uses in his hands, he's acting as a magnet for those Jedi so he can get them to safety. That's fairly smart. Uh, the boy he's sending off planet is named Corinne. Corin. Corin, sorry. So that's uh, a huge Easter egg, actually. Yeah, and he's sending him to Corellia. Yeah, so Corin Horn is a really, really important, like, primary character in the Legends universe. Corin um, grew up on Corellia, 
and uh, was force sensitive, but didn't know it for a long time. And he was the creation of Michael A. Stackpole, who created him for the X-Wing books. So he was actually, after he was done with Corsac, which was the Corellian security force, he joined up with the uh, Rebellion and fought with Rogue Squadron. So he was part of those Rogue and Wraith Squadron books, but then ended up becoming one of the first students in Luke's Academy in the old Legends books. Um, I talked to Mike a little bit about this and I can't tell you how pleased he is about it because he's like, oh, it's perfect. He's the right age. They sent him to the right place. They can incorporate any part of his story they want to into the Mandalorian area of the timeline. It's perfect. Now, I, do you think they're going to do any of that or do you think this is just a fun Easter egg? I, they don't leave anything on the table, right? Like or they don't leave anything off the table. They're opening that possibility so they can use it. Maybe they do, maybe they don't, but it's fun to think that they could either way. Yeah. Okay, so Obi-Wan, we're skipping a lot of stuff here because we need to get to part three, but Obi-Wan is able to break Leia out. Uh, they kind of go on a misadventure. Uh, it's very similar. I don't know, it, it, it's strange to me that all of both the, uh, this and the Mandalorian kind of pull from Lone Wolf and Cub in a way and is about this, uh, you know, older mentor character uh, who probably doesn't want to be a mentor, having to take in a younger uh, person to protect them for some cause. Um, a lot of people are saying, Brian, that this is a plot hole because in A New Hope, Leia says, uh, years ago, you served my father on the clone, on clone wars. Um, actually one, one of my friends sent me years ago, you served my father on the clone wars before we went on a six part limited series, buddy adventure after you rescued me. Uh, that's not what she said back then, <laughs> but it, it, it clearly seemed like she didn't know Obi-Wan Kenobi in a new hope, but now it seems like they have oh. a good re relationship here. And I'm guessing you're going to give the same explanation I would give to people, which is Leia doesn't know that this is Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I think that there's definitely some element of that. He hasn't given his last name. He's just been to her for now. Yeah. So, which adds so much more weight to her when, when she gets excited and says, Ben Kenobi, where is he? Right? Mm. Um, but that message was also very formal. That message was not designed to give a lot away because the droids she was sending them off into danger. Right? Like, why would she go into immense detail about like, oh, remember the time we met here, here, and here? Especially if that could be like some part of operational security or, or something like that. Like, why get into it in that message? The message is... You serve my father in the Clone Wars, which is a plea to his better half. And he knows it actually works better this way. If you think about it, Bale had to show up personally to get Obi-Wan to go off on this mission. And now in order for him to convince Obi-Wan to come out of hiding, he has to send Leia knowing they went on this adventure together. It's a manipulation tactic on Bale's part. So do you think at the end of the series, Leia will know Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think it's a possibility, and I don't think it breaks anything if she does. Okay, the other thing I see online that I, uh, I need to present to you, Brian, 
is people are bringing up the Yoda telling Obi-Wan there is another. Uh-huh. Which seems to be an indication that he doesn't know about her? No, I think... Which, A, if people are going to complain that that's a, a continuity error, they should have been complaining about it in 2005 when Revenge of the Sith came out, when he was there for her birth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, I think Obi-Wan... Obi-Wan looks at the kids and maybe this is sexist on Obi-Wan's part, but like he looks at Leia as the political power and, and Luke is the, the, the key to bringing, uh, killing Vader and becoming a Jedi. And so like, he's really pinning his hopes on Luke and Yoda's reminding him that there's another one. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the grand inquisitor makes the third sister stand down but she puts out a boundary on Kenobi on the planet, leading to this chase sequence, which honestly is probably my least part of this show so far. It seems like it's, it's taking, like, how many people to catch a little kid? What did you think of the chase sequence? I thought it was... I thought the chase sequence was fun. I, <laughs> like... I don't know. The, the, the stuff that I think... Yeah, no, I mean, it was fun. I I don't know why Reva didn't get to catch Obi-Wan by the end of it, but it made perfect story sense that she didn't because we needed to go to the next location. Um, but it it happened in, in an emotionally satisfying way. There's something about... Pablo Hidalgo said that hyperspace moves at the speed of the story needs it to. Yeah. And I think rooftop chase, chases are the same way. Um, as our scooter chases through, through that was me. supposed to be funny, and I find it so funny. I know, I know, I know. Um, okay. Uh, I mean, the other thing is Pablo's credited on this. Yeah, and, and the, the lore I, guy. Yeah, I don't understand how Star Wars fans actually think that you know having Pablo consult on this that they would be gigantic plot holes with no explanation it, it is baffling to me that people actually think that like that people spend years developing this and no one thought about watching that a new hope and be like oh that wouldn't work i mean like like this is a big production with many people and then you have like people like pablo there to make sure it all makes sense yeah. Um, well, so, and here's the thing, too. I, I think there's two things going on. One, people think plot hole means something that is not explained to me yet. Yeah. Um, and Star Wars doesn't have to give all the answers. If it doesn't make sense now, there's probably a logical explanation. A more fun way to watch Star Wars than to look at something and say, oh, clearly this is a plot hole, even though that's not what a plot hole is, and I'll explain that in a second is to say, how could this logically be true? How can it logically fit? That's a way more fun way to look at it. But a plot hole isn't a character said one thing and then did something else. That's character revelation. A plot hole is we blew up Death Star 1 in shot 5 and it shows back up in shot 10, you know, in scene 10. Well, that's continuity error. Well, well, no, a plot hole would be like we blew yeah. up the Death Star in the first scene and then it shows back up in the last scene. Yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like, we, <laughs> I, think a, I think a bigger plot hole, honestly, 
an actual plot hole is, wait, didn't Ray cut the wings off of Kylo Ren's TIE fighter with the Wayfinder in it? And then he just had a spare with another Wayfinder in it for later in the movie? That's closer to a plot hole. Or or how did how did Luke Skywalker get off Octu? Uh, because didn't he use the door from his X or like the was it the wing from the X wing or the door from the X wing? Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, like I don't know things like that. But Luke I don't know. Fixed it. Yes. There you go. Okay, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so Ben uses the Force for the first time in a big way in probably a decade, and he uses it to save Leia from falling, proving to her that he's a Jedi. And uh, there's this moment where Obi Wan says. LA reminds him of someone and he's talking about her mother. And I, I thought that was a, a really heartfelt moment. Um, yeah, no, that, that really kind of punched me in the gut is seeing him sort of very satisfied with seeing those genetics work. I think he was probably heartbroken about Padme. He loved Padme, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and you also see her anger, the, yeah. the Anakin Skywalker side of her. Oh, yeah. No, she's definitely... <laughs> she has elements of Padme, but I think she's way more Anakin's kid. <laughs> okay, so uh, Riva tracks them to the part, uh, to the port, I should say, not part, and reveals that Anakin Skywalker is still alive, uh, which is this amazing moment because I think I had assumed that Obi-Wan had realized that Darth Vader is Anakin Skywalker. I mean, by yeah. a new hope, we knew no, that he knew. He does know that Vader is Anakin Skywalker. He doesn't know that Vader still exists. So Wait, what? I'm confused in now. In Revenge of the Sith, he watches the security holograms of Palpatine calling Anakin Vader. And Yoda and he have a conversation about how, like, he's now this Lord Vader and how he's twisted. Like... Obi-Wan knows that Vader is Anakin. That's not the revelation. The revelation is that Vader's alive, that Vader Anakin is alive. Because as far as he knew, he left him for dead on Mustafar. He doesn't know that Palpatine came and picked him up and fixed him. And he's so far out of the way on Tatooine. And this is this is why there's that moment. So where he that doesn't even know that Darth Vader has been around no. conquering the galaxy? No. Huh. Okay. Um, this is why you had that woman on Tatooine that, that Reva cuts her hand off because she's like, the, the Empire is not, like, you don't have any jurisdiction here. And she's, like, sticking up and, like, talking back to them because they just don't know. The, Tatooine is such a backwater. The Empire is not there. We have this idea that the Empire is always on Tatooine because that's how we see <laughs> Tatooine in A New Hope. But the Empire is literally not on Tatooine at all except for, like, the Imperial Academy where they can get conscripts and uh, until uh, until A New Hope when Vader sends that detachment down to retrieve the droids. Okay, well, semantics aside, I thought that Obi-Wan Kenobi knew that Anakin Skywalker was still alive in some form. No. Uh, so uh, to see this moment was kind of amazing. And also, uh, you could you could feel all the emotions that he was going through in yeah. that revelation. I think I think there's that heartache that like 
I th- I feel like, and this is why we get that wonderful moment in the third in the third episode that like now he thinks he just tortured him and left him for dead, right? Like there's there's a whole bunch of guilt that comes with that. That like I I I, I failed at that and left okay. him to be, you know, left him in pain and anguish. This person that I loved. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Um, I guess one of the big questions left by the first two episodes, it had a, how did she know that Anakin Skywalker is Darth Vader? Because as far as I know, almost no one in the galaxy knows that. So the Inquisitorious would very likely know, right? Like the Grand Inquisitor was a Jedi Temple guard who oversaw the Jedi Temple and turned to the Inquisitors and watched Anakin Skywalker. Anybody, like, if the Inquisitors, even for a minute, like, have to review security hologram footage of Order 66 on the Jedi Temple, they're going to see Palpatine calling Anakin Skywalker Darth Vader. Right? So you think all the Inquisitors know? I think all the Inquisitors know that. Mm. Okay. I think... That's a good explanation. Pretty common knowledge for that specific group of people for very specific reasons. Um... But I don't think it's widely known in the galaxy. I don't think your average stormtrooper is going to know that. I don't think. Um, I think Tarkin puts it together. Tarkin didn't know uh, actually until his book much later. Like he puts it together, um, and Palpatine is surprised when Thrawn is able to put it together. Um, but but yeah, it's not common knowledge. But the Inquisitorious are trained by Anakin or by trained by Vader. Um, most of them are former Jedi who would be familiar with Anakin and any images that they're able to see or watch are going to have Anakin as Vader, not in the suit, sweeping up that, that, that operation. Mm. Yeah. I, I thought they might even like have excised those, those hollow messages and they whatnot. would have, I think for the public, but I think the Inquisitorious would need them necessarily to train. Okay, the other big shocker of this episode is the Grand Inquisitor shows up, uh, tells her to step aside, and instead she stabs him in the stomach with her lightsaber. This is shocking to people who haven't seen other Star Wars things because this guy in the marketing has kind of been set up as uh, the second big bad under Vader for the show. For you and me... Brian, we, we know that the Grand Inquisitor is in Star Wars Rebels, which yeah, uh, uh, happens, what, five years before A New Hope? And this is set a decade prior or so. Yeah. So is the Grand Inquisitor dead? He got is, better. Is this another plot hole that Pablo let through? No. Without- so, so here's the thing. <laughs> this is actually some really elegant storytelling. Yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a is as we see later in the third episode Ben Kenobi is a match for Darth Vader right maybe not the match he wants to be because he's still not tapping into the force the way he should but he can stand against Darth Vader the Grand Inquisitor is not Darth Vader right the Grand Inquisitor would get his ass handed to him by Obi-Wan Kenobi the Grand Inquisitor must live to get through the rest to get through to rebels. So mm. if you take him off the map 
off the, the chessboard here from Friendly Fire and allow Reva to continue down her path of folly against Obi-Wan, you remove the Grand Inquisitor from necessarily needing to confront Obi-Wan himself, and you put Reva in that position, and it opens up the possibilities narratively of what can happen. Yeah, it's pretty smart, actually. Although, yeah. you know, in the next um, episode, we have that scene where she is blaming the Grand Inquisitor's death on Kenobi. Or actually, she doesn't say death. She blames what happened to the Grand Inquisitor on Kenobi. And Vader doesn't care. He's like, just all he wants is Kenobi. But it seems to me like if he's not dead, at some point he's going to, you know, recover in a back to tank or whatever they do with the inquisitors and he's going to tell vader what happened with with her stabbing him yeah no i think i think what this does is it creates a really interesting political alliance i mean this is what the sith do right like this is what dark side users do rather yeah. right they're all jockeying for power around each other and manipulating each other and she thinks she, maybe she thinks she's killed him and taken him off the the board so that she can ascend to power, which makes sense for her character. But she didn't do a good enough job because we know he survives, and that's going to cause her further problems later. So she's going to be fighting against Kenobi. She's going to be fighting against the Grand Inquisitor and the other Inquisitors. She's going to be fighting against Vader if she fails. It sets her up to be in this precarious position. The thing is, is like a dark side user like this, they need to make their move when they need when they know they can pull off their shot, right? Like, Palpatine didn't kill Darth Plagueis, uh, you know, willy-nilly. It was planned meticulously, and he shot his shot when he knew he could pull it off. Yeah. And that's, I think Reva is in a position where she shot her shot off prematurely here. The uh, This episode, episode two, ends with Obi-Wan taking off with Leia in a ship, and... Uh, he's kind of, I, I picture as he's imagining what Va what Anakin has become. Is that how you're picturing it? Or is it literal, like, is he seeing Vader in the back to tank and Vader getting dressed, you know, leading into part three? Does I think this is them reaching out to each other. I think this is them. There's a moment very similar to this in Rebels when Ahsoka is on the ghost and she reaches out because that pilot's strong in the force and she touches it and it's Anakin and she screams and passes out. This is yeah. Obi-Wan feeling and reaching out because he didn't feel Anakin. You know, Obi-Wan is really a powerful Jedi, right? Remember in A New Hope? He has to brace himself when Alderaan's destroyed as if a mil millions of voices suddenly cried out in terror and were suddenly silenced. Yoda does the same thing in Revenge of the Sith when he's this tapped in and feels Order 66 happening. None of the other Jedi do, but Yoda does. And Obi-Wan is receiving this training to be that tapped into the Force that now he's reaching out to Anakin for the first time and they sense each other. I think it's literal. Do you, do you think he, I mean, I guess he would never reach out to sense him because he thought he was dead. And, so there's no we, reason for him to like feel his yeah. presence in this galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think you know, Obi-Wan was for the most part trying to cut himself off from the force. 
right? Yeah. Like when Reva shows up, he still doesn't even pull his lightsaber. Right? Yeah. Um, he's still trying to stay away from the force. He's it, it's like Luke. It's like those those last Jedi echoes with Luke. He's cutting himself off from it. And now when he realizes how badly he screwed up on Mustafar and he reaches out and he finds Vader, that's got to be a, a terrifying moment for him. I will say that it is badass and how like the uh the thing goes into his like chest and like it's just the way it's presented here. Um, in episode three, episode three. Yeah. So we're on episode three now. Um, so there, there's that conversation between Riva and Darth Vader that I mentioned before. It's worth noting here that while Hayden Christensen is the guy in the suit, uh, for the non stunty stuff, um, that, Sounds to me like James Earl Jones is back as the voice. No, he's in the credits. He's in the credits, but here's the thing, Brian. Well, first of all, Hayden Christensen was asked this a week or two ago. Yep. And he said no comment. Well, yeah. And it's... and they haven't been using this in, in press. And then, you know what also is in the credits? At the very end of the credits, there's this credit buried near the end. It says voice conversion services provided by Reach Speecher, which I think is the same company that did the, the Luke Skywalker stuff in Mando. So I'm wondering if James Earl Jones participated in the fact that, like, he gave them permission to, you know, scan his old Darth Vader stuff into an AI and, and do this voice. I think that's a possibility. Um, I know... I feel like, and maybe this was just a rumor, but that they had had him come in and say a lot of stuff and record a lot of lines just so they could have a library of it. Mm. Um, and I don't know anything. This is just speculation online. Obviously, he's credited in the credits. I mean, it's so. his voice one way or the other, whether it's yeah. the re-speeching stuff or whether he recorded these new. It did sound like his older voice. It did sound much closer to the Rogue One Vader, which he did do the voice for, than it does like a like a more fresh A New Hope Vader. Yeah. Um. So, so I don't know. I, he's He's getting up there in age, but his voice hasn't lost much. So... Who, who knows? Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out the answer in the coming weeks. So anyways, uh, Ben fixes Lola for Leia, and uh, we are now in, what is this planet? It's a mining system Lacuzo, ravaged by the Empire. A, yeah, it's a mining planet. It doesn't have any significance prior to this, um, but yeah, it's called Ma Mapuzo. I will say out of all the planets so far in this show, this is the least exciting because to me it looks like they just drove outside of los angeles and yeah they they found some joshua trees to shoot by <laughs> yeah it, it looks like you know some of the stuff in mandalorian actually <laughs> um okay so uh ben sees a man in a cloak from afar i wanted to ask you what, what is your interpretation of that is that is he imagining anakin yeah no and if you look i mean that's pretty clearly hayden christensen um, I think he's seeing things. I think he's seeing visions in the force. And I love that he keeps reaching out to master Qui-Gon for answers. And I like that Qui-Gon's not like easily available for them. 
Um, Do you think Qui-Gon has responded to him at all at this point? So the reason I think that answer is no is because I think we know that Qui-Gon knows that Anakin and Vader are still alive. Because I think going back to Attack of the Clones and hearing Qui-Gon's voice screaming no, watching over Anakin as he slaughters the Tuscans implies to me that whatever consciousness that Qui-Gon has left is trying to guide Anakin somehow. And if Qui-Gon had been able to talk to Obi-Wan between now and then, then maybe he would have told him that, that Vader's still alive and prepared him better for that mission. Hmm. It, it, okay, uh, we'll, we'll get to that more in speculation. Okay, um, so uh, Reva knows he's in one of the mining systems, sends out a probe droid, despite fifth, the fifth brother thinking he's next in line. Uh, she has orders from Darth Vader, so that trumps him. And uh, they hitch a ride on with like this mole-looking alien named Freck, who, to be honest with you, when he first appeared on screen, I thought it was voiced by Seth Rogen. It sounded like Seth, Seth Rogen, but it's actually voiced by Zach Braff. And uh, they trust him, despite him having an Imperial flag on his truck. And uh, I have a bad feeling about this. What did you think yeah, of Freck? It's, I, I thought Freck was a really fun character, and I really loved these interactions. This is what we were kind of talking about earlier, where Obi-Wan's like, here's our cover story. Your name's Luna. I'm Orden. <laughs> we're farmers from Tall. Uh, and you don't talk. And she just kind of walks in and starts bluffing her way through this. And she does the same thing with the stormtroopers. Like, and I love that. And he's the one that messes it up. Yeah, no, he, he calls is. her Leia. <laughs> She's on board with it. And, and I love how they recover from it. I don't know. It feels very star Wars to me. It feels very, um, I don't know. It, it, it all felt so right to me intense and, I love the way they sort of manipulate. Deborah has a really clever director when it comes to building surprise and tension where this first group of stormtroopers pieces out, right? They're like, okay, we're leaving. And then, and then Freck is the one who ends up selling them out anyway, after you feel like maybe they've gotten through the danger. Yeah. And then that gets subverted again when Tala shows up. Uh, to rewind a little bit, by the way, uh, it's it's crazy. Even though these stormtroopers are looking for a Jedi, they don't notice that there's a man on this on this truck wearing Jedi robes. Oh, whatever. Um, well, I think this is definitely his more like <laughs> I'm a Tatooine farmer like robes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did also want to mention that these shots seem to echo or mimic intentionally the the way that Obi Wan or Ben rides back home from work in the first episode yeah and i'm not i'm not sure exactly why it was, it was planned that way because you know they're sitting sideways in the vehicle so there, there's something there this is what the job is now <laughs> yeah uh so leia asks if obi-wan is her father and rightfully denies it uh obi-wan barely remembers his parents uh, as he was taken into the jedi order when he was young but he mentions he thinks he had a brother. This is like an interesting thing to just drop in there. Like it doesn't seem to be 
really that relevant to the story? Like, why do you think that they're mentioning this now? So this is something that I think there's a lot of people who I think mistake Leia's statements in Return of the Jedi about remembering her mother as a continuity error or a plot hole when they just lack imagination. And I think through the force, a lot of things are possible. And when she says that her memory of her mother is just images, really feelings. She was very beautiful, kind, but sad is the same thing as Obi-Wan here saying like, I remember my mother's shawl, my father's hands. I think there was a baby. And he said, I think I had a brother, right? Like it's that same sort of wistfulness that Leia gives in that performance in Return of the Jedi. And it's the same idea that they were both taken at a young age for greater service, but they still have these wistful memories of being younger um, in a really powerful way. And so what I think the reason they do this is to connect him to her, but also to that moment. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, and that he's trying to identify with her because she's taken from her family by the Jedi for a greater purpose the same way he was, even though they have different paths to lead there. Well, I like that explanation. Um, the stormtroopers at the Imperial checkpoint interrogate Ben and Leia, forcing Obi-Wan to take out the troopers and the probe droid, but not before the probe droid sends the footage back to the Inquisitors. Uh, I think the part about the, uh, that I like about the scene the most is the trooper falling it almost gives out like a Willem scream and uh, getting like split into two by those like a uh, blaster fence or I don't know what you the call energy it. beams energy beams yeah um, I thought that was kind of cool and um, it which is has this sort of thematic tie to Maul right like the energy beams that separated Obi Wan and Maul in Phantom Menace and then uh, Maul getting cut in half. It just it it doesn't have any specific meaning to it, but it sort of evokes these themes throughout Obi Wan's life. Yeah, and they're saved by this Imperial officer named Tala, who was actually the person that they were supposed to meet on the planet. If if only Obi Wan had waited a little bit longer, he wouldn't be in this situation. If if only he had faith. <laughs> Do you know what I mean that that yeah. that uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Estri. Uh, I forget the guy. Haja. Yeah, Haja Estri was not like gonna pull one over on him. Uh, if he had trusted him, then maybe they wouldn't be in this predicament, which I think is interesting. Well, I think I think there's so much there's so much really great work with Obi Wan's like trauma here, right? Like Obi Wan's having a, a, a Dickens of a, of a time struggling to trust anyone because a lot of that trust, and this is part of why I think they put that clone trooper there, right? That clone trooper there was someone, those clone troopers were people that they trusted. The Jedi trusted the clones implicitly and they turned on them. And if you can trust someone that implicitly and they turn on you, if you can trust Anakin that implicitly and they turn on you, anyone and everyone can turn on you. So he has these trust issues because of what he went through in Revenge of the Sith and he's just nursing those wounds and not letting them heal. He's just picking those scabs. Yeah. For sure. And uh, this character, Talos, uh, played by Dara Varma, I think is how you pronounce the name. Uh, uh, she played um, a character on Game of Thrones. Laura yeah, one Sand? of the Sand Snakes. Yeah. 
Um, and I thought at first, I was like, oh, so this is the Star Wars trope where the good guys are in disguise as the bad guys. But we we learn that the, this is not the case. It's actually a person who, uh, you know, went into the Imperial Navy or, or whatever and became this character and uh, decided to start helping. It decided they didn't want to be part of the Empire and just to, to, to help um, people from the inside of the bad the bad guys. So I thought that was a, an interesting twist on uh, what we, we normally see in Star Wars. Although it's been done before. We've seen that with, um, what's his name in Rebels? The... Uh, Agent Callus. Callus, yeah. Um, okay, so they meet her loading droid, Ned B, who isn't allowed to talk. They learn that they have basically come to the Star Wars version of an underground railroad where they give Jedi new identities and get them out. And uh, in the safe house, Obi-Wan discovers a message from Quinlan Voss. Yeah. Uh, that the Jedi are still out there. Uh, it says, uh, only when the eyes are closed can you truly see. Who is Quinlan Voss and why is this important? So Quinlan Voss is actually somebody, he's a Jedi that appeared first in Phantom Menace uh, and was mentioned, he was name-checked in Revenge of the Sith by Obi-Wan. Uh, you'll remember when he's giving Anakin that briefing uh, about Master Voss moving his troops to Boss Pity. And he was a huge star in the comic books in the Legends timeline for a while. He was this Jedi who sort of skirted the line between uh, light side and dark side. And when the Legends universe got wiped, he ended up getting a, uh, an appearance on the Clone Wars again. And he teamed up with Obi-Wan and he sort of maintained that very unorthodox Jedi um, reputation. And there was a book uh, written uh, called Dark Disciple that was actually based on eight unproduced episodes of the Clone Wars, where Quinlan Voss is actually assigned by the Jedi Council to uh, uh, assassinate Count Dooku. And I think that's one of the most interesting things, is is we start the Clone Wars with Mace Windu going like, you know, he used to be a Jedi. He wouldn't assassinate anybody to Mace Windu in these episodes of Clone Wars going like, you know, we really need to assassinate Count Dooku. <laughs> um and so Quinlan Voss actually gets involved with Asajj Ventress. He's there at her death, uh, there in that book. And we haven't heard from him. He was one of those Jedi that sort of like his fate was was held up in the air and no one knew uh, what, what that was. Um, I think this quote is really relevant to Obi-Wan. I don't think there's any relevance specifically from Quinlan elsewhere in the canon that I could that I could recall or find. Um, but I think it's important to the faith that Obi-Wan has when he's training Luke, right? Like, your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. That whole um, lesson that he gives Luke about the, the training remote and from a certain point of view, um, all of those things are really central to what make Obi-Wan's character so interesting. And I think this quote sort of really gets to the heart of where some of that philosophy might have developed or redeveloped in its atrophied state in Obi-Wan's last decade. So I think uh, interesting takeaway here is he's still alive. He's helping yes. the cause. Yeah, smuggling younglings, no less, which kind of opens a window to like, is maybe he one of the reasons that Grogu escaped? Do you think we're going to see him in the series? Yes. I mean, like, 
<laughs> Every time you get into the speculation on stuff like this, it's like, this is the universe that brought Darth Maul back from the dead. Yeah, I can't yeah. predict what we're going to see. Like, and, and, and it was like, Darth Maul came back from the dead. Darth Maul appeared in the solo. And then Luke Skywalker showed up on Mandalorian. Like, everything's on the table here. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so through the Force, Ben senses that Anakin has arrived on the planet, and this is like a really epic and cool moment, and it, it's really well-directed by Deborah Chow and just how it, the point of... You are such in the point of view of Ben. You know what's going on, even though no, like he's not... He never has to say it out loud. Um and, uh, you know, Vader comes out and force chokes someone out of a window and breaks another person's neck to lure Obi-Wan out. And uh, what did you think of this whole sequence that, that, that follows? I think this is another one of those things where, where Vader has so divorced himself from Anakin that it's going to be really hard for um, Obi-Wan to see that light in invader but i think i think this is really important for for two reasons i'm gonna it's gonna be a little bit of a long walk but okay. follow me here in <laughs> return of the jedi vader tells obi-wan or tells luke luke is like there's still good in you i felt it the, the emperor hasn't driven it from you fully and vader tells him very somberly obi-wan once thought as you do now, we watched all of Obi-Wan Kenobi's interactions with Darth Vader in Revenge of the Sith, and there is nothing in there that makes him feel like the light is there in Anakin. Right? Yeah. That is a, a quote-unquote plot hole, right? But we also have that really wonderful speech, that, that monologue, that moment at the beginning of this episode when he's filming or fixing Lola, and Leia asks what using the Force is like. And he says, you know, um, what's it like being, you know, alone in the dark? And she's like, it's scary. And he's like, and what, what happens? How do you feel when you turn the light on? And she says, I feel safe. And he says, that's what it feels like. And I think that there's going to be something where he sees that light turn on in Anakin at some point. And this here shows him that Anakin is at his darkest here that he's just killing people indiscriminately. It doesn't matter. And there's going to be something really powerful in the next couple of episodes that shows Obi-Wan that there is that spark of light in him. And we're going to see that play out. And that line in Return of the Jedi is finally going to make a lot more sense. I will say that this episode was not my favorite of the show. Uh, before we get into this lightsaber fight, I'm going to say this because it, it really feels to me like they are grinding the gears a little bit. Like you have to do on a TV show where uh, kind of like what they did in Mandalorian season one where like, oh, they have to go to this planet to get this thing, to get the other thing, to get the thing that they want to do. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it feels, it, it left me wishing that this was a movie in not six hours because it feels it, it feels like they're trying to buy some time here in in the way that some some shows do that well i don't know i feel like from a storytelling perspective the way at least the chunks that we're getting they're forcing obi-wan to take more and more drastic steps they're for they're they're 
he's a rat in a cage and the end of the exit of that cage is he's going to have to fight Vader again. And in this, it's very obvious he doesn't want to fight Vader. He's not really fighting back and every chance he gets, he tries to run away. Yeah. Right. And right now, Obi-Wan in his character development, his choice is to run away from Vader instead of meeting him head on or, or treating him with that compassion that he, that is central to a Jedi's life. And, this episode for me, it worked on that serialized sort of scale because the stakes did change between the episodes. In this, we still have a cowardly Obi-Wan in the middle of his Act 2 climb where he's trying to save Leia with the minimum amount of force effort possible and it's not working against Vader. But we also have Leia in the hands of Reva by the end of this. And so the stakes are going to change and raise so that Obi-Wan has to take more drastic steps and step closer to the force in order to solve those problems. So it, 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 it's very sensible storytelling in my, in my view, if that makes sense. I do think I would have much rather seen this in one shot in a movie. I'm with you on that. But with uh, Deborah Chow understood the homework. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, she's making the best of it. I, I, I think that. But the other thing, um, to, uh, to go to rewind to me being cynical about, is this story a, a story worth telling? Does this story need to be told? And to, I was thinking, you know, what for me, what does that mean? Like, what needs to happen in this series to make this? worthwhile and Brian I know you read lots of books I know uh you know a lot of these Star Wars books are you know an adventure that happens and maybe the events of it will be mentioned somewhere else maybe they won't but it, it you know it's it's uh it's not an adventure not worth taking because it doesn't have consequences elsewhere in canon it's it doesn't make it lesser I'm not going to say it does, but I feel like for the Star Wars movies and TV shows, for me, if I was thinking of why, what needs to happen in this for it to buy its worthiness of like it needed to be made and it is a story that needed to be told, not like, you know, in a book or a comic, but like on the screen. And to me, I think it needs to make me re reevaluate either something that happens later in, in the trilogy in, in a way like Rogue One kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote answers a plot hole um, or just makes me reevaluate how, you know, the events of A New Hope or the original trilogy or even the sequel trilogy. And I'm kind of wondering, I'm still not, as much as I am more, uh, I'm more, um, I'm thinking it's going to be headed there. I think that we're going to get something like that. I, we, I don't think we've seen that quite yet. Uh, but th things like what you were saying about how that's going to make us reevaluate that one line or whatnot. I, I'm wondering from your perspective, what, what makes this, what will make this series worth being told? Um, for me so far, honestly, the reason this has been so worth it for me being told is something we talked about at the beginning of the episode, that 
this is treating the prequels with that gravitas and respect that like even if people don't like the prequels they're being repackaged and retold here in a way that i think that that's what what people sort of expected out of them right that yeah. brings the love for those stories to a broader to a broader group of people and for those who already love those stories um adds more depth to them um and so so already it's successful in your mind already it's successful in my eyes i mean the other thing that makes it successful in my eyes is like watching ewan mcgregor just like knock this performance of revisiting the character out of the park and making him much more complicated and showing us this character at his worst like at his absolute lowest for sure um Okay, I took a sidetrack there. I'm sorry. Uh, getting back to the episode, there's this lightsaber fight, um, which is actually interesting because, you know, we've seen Obi-Wan, we've seen Ewan McGregor fight with a lightsaber before in the prequels where it was kind of highly choreographed in a way, more stylized. And we've seen Obi-Wan as an old man fight Vader uh in a new hope where it's very uh slow and methodical and not as cinematic um i love how this fight is not as choreographed as the prequels but i also love that it's not as slow as a new hope it's kind of like meeting the middle ground of where these characters would be at this yeah. point in the time yeah no, I think that that was a really smart move on on the part of Deborah Chow and the filmmakers is to really create that bridge between the two. Because I think that's one of those questions people have, like, oh, they were doing all flips and doing all this Jedi stuff in the prequels, and all of a sudden it's just like, we're going to chop at trees and nothing else in A New Hope. <laughs> and this really kind of gives us that savagery of Vader. I loved that Vader was doing the one-handed thing like he does with Luke in Empire, too. Um and and really, like, Obi-Wan's not fighting him. I guess this is another parallel with Luke. And I think this, this makes Luke in The Last Jedi all the greater. That Obi-Wan is not trying to attack or kill Vader. He's defending himself and deflecting, and that's about it. Right? Sure. Like, he can't yeah. bring himself to, 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 to hurt Anakin anymore. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in Obi-Wan's head. And I want to know more about that. And that's what makes this so fascinating to me. But it almost feels like he's barely preserving his own life. And that's it. Right? He doesn't want to attack or kill. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to fight at all because he's a Jedi. And maybe he's learned a different lesson. And he's going to have to figure out how to do that. And so I think it 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 bridges that philosophy of, of Jedi-dom that... that feeds through to the last jedi it feeds a visual bridge to between revenge of the sith and obi-wan and anakin's duel there and a new hope in their duel there and it showcases it showcases another reason why anakin or vader has to be pissed about everything right like we talk about how like oh yeah vader turned and he kills younglings, and it's like, I guess there's no coming back from that. But this really showed this lightsaber duel 
the brutality and anger that he has for being left for dead the way he was by someone who presumably loved him. So all of those lies that Palpatine fed him about the Jedi, all those lies that uh, were perpetrated by Obi-Wan's confrontation in the manner that he was confronted, the loss of Padme, like all of those things are the fuel of anger and hatred that Anakin's been holding on to this, this whole time. And he doesn't have to show it to anybody else. He just seethes in that, and that kind of fuels him. And everybody knows he's standoffish. But here, he's like, you're the person responsible. <laughs> and I'm going to make you suffer for this. I am what you made me. Yeah. And it's such an interesting... I didn't realize... I didn't think that we got this. We would actually get another facet of Vader's character, and we have. And that's another thing that makes this show successful for me. Um, the I will say that my one criticism of this battle, and this might be an expectation thing, and it might be that this is a TV show, not a movie, but this epic confrontation between Obi-Wan and Vader that we've been waiting for felt so much more sc- smaller scale than I had hoped it might be. It's like in this, like... So Sandy area. Do I mean, here's, here's the thing, the way I'm looking at it, as far as like a feature scale, think about Qui-Gon's battle with Darth Maul on Tatooine. Yeah. Versus his battle with him on Naboo. Right. It is, but the prelude friend. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean, you're right. And I, I, I do not know that they're going to probably have other confrontation. If, if the concept art is any indication, this is not the last lightsaber fight between the two. But um, but it, I just wanted to put that criticism out there. It, it did look smaller. It, you know, it, it was just I, I had hoped for more, and I, I'm guessing we're going to get that. Well, we're going to get it when Obi-Wan actually decides he needs to fight back, yeah. right? It's going to be a lot more epic when Obi-Wan is in that character place to actually make that confrontation. And it's going to be, I mean, like, here's the, everybody's favorite lightsaber duels. They're not the ones that are the flashiest. They're the ones that have the meatiest character content, Right. And when Obi-Wan and Anakin finally get to have that confrontation here at this moment in the timeline, it's going to be so much more epic because they've built character and story around making that fight important. And we're not there yet. Yeah. I mean, you're right about that. Um, so Vader first chokes Obi-Wan and throws him into a fire. He's saved by Tala and her droid. And uh, Reva finds the secret passage sees the Jedi symbol written on the walls, which seems to mean something to her. And she is the one to meet Leia at the end of the tunnel instead of the person that Leia was supposed to so meet. That's that's the thing that, like, this is... I don't think it's a plot hole because I think that there's a very easy explanation. And if I were to ask, like, Matt Martin or Pablo Hidalgo about this, the, the yeah. I know the answer they would give me. But, like, okay, so Tala left Princess Leia to run the rest of the way to the pilot by herself in the tunnels. And then she leaves the tunnels to go make it to Obi-Wan to save him. But then Reva comes later, finds the writing on the wall, and then gets to the other side of the tunnel that Leia's already on her way to. And she couldn't, she couldn't, she couldn't catch her in the, the last episode, but this time she, she beat her to it. Well, so the answer that I know that all of those guys would give me was there's more than one pathway in the tunnel. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, there's there's a whole bunch of different ways to get there, and maybe the tunnels are way more circuitous. And she took an over an over route. You know, uh, see, I wasn't even thinking that there was a a possible plot hole here, but you're beating me to the the punch. I I, I'm sure there's a logical explanation for it. Yeah, yeah. It the thing is though is that like, I think we've talked about this on the show before. Um, Walter Murch, who's sort of like a god among editors, but really someone highly influential in George Lucas's career. He co-wrote THX with them. And I mean, this is the guy who cut apocalypse now in the Godfather movies, right? Like, yeah, Walter Murch is a genius. And if you've read his book on editing, he says like continuity means less than emotion. And it's emotionally correct for Riva to be there and meet Leia having killed that pilot more than us having to step back and think about how she got from one path of the, the tunnel to the other. It's the same reason, you know, I'll, I'll use this example from The Dark Knight, and it starts to, upon further viewings, break it for me. I don't necessarily think this will, but, like, when Joker's at that party, it's emotionally satisfying to watch Bruce jump out the window after Rachel, right? Yeah. But, like... He just leaves the Joker there in that party full of people after already threatening them with their lives, right? Like, he he goes after Rachel to save her while leaving all of the rest of those people for dead, which is sort of against his whole ethos. But we don't think about it because the emotional impact of the story is what we're following, not that continuity. So I don't necessarily think those things are mistakes. They're very deliberate, allowable mistakes because— the emotion of the story is more important than the length of which tunnel. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, I will say I like the cliffhanger ending here. Um, and that, that brings us, we were officially halfway through Obi-Wan Kenobi. Yeah. Which we think is one season, right? Like they've said, it's a mini series. Yeah. Although Hayden Christensen is out there saying how he would love to do a Darth Vader mini series, which could be a follow up. Well, um, and uh, Ewan McGregor's talked about how he he wouldn't mind necessarily coming back, that this has been a great experience, though maybe he'll change his mind after the way everybody's treating Moses Ingram. Yeah. I hate that, it, I don't know, especially after coming back from Celebration and, like, it really Celebration, like, restored my faith in, like, fandom and Star Wars fandom in a way, and then I came back from that to, to all the, uh, the, you know, the hate towards her, and it's just like, I don't know. It's, 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 you know, like, I think the thing that we have to understand about Star Wars fandom is that Star Wars fandom is huge and that the super fans are in a super minority, right? Like your average Star Wars fan is somebody who's watched them at the movie theaters once or twice and probably bought the Blu-rays, right? They're hooked by the Mandalorian and they've watched it once. You know what I mean? Like that's your average Star Wars fan. They don't live and breathe it the way we do. And when you have any sizable portion of the population, you're going to have bigots and racists in that sample size, right? Like, it's just like Star Wars fandom reflects the world around us. And there are people who are racist and misogynists. And there are those few that will go out and send messages like that to, to Moses Ingram. And we just have to push back about it and make sure people understand that that's not acceptable or okay. Um, but Star Wars fandom is so big that, um, we're going to have more of our share of those problems just, just from a sheer numbers game, 
for sure. It just I, I don't know. It, it, I'm, I not, get I'm it. not excusing I, it. It's awful. I I I. I I don't know, even the reaction to the reaction, like Star Wars put out this tweet that basically said there was like no place in Star Wars fandom for racists. And there was people that responded to that, like, oh, I'm going to go make a video, but like, I'm so offended. Like, how? It, it just baffles Peter, me. It baffles Peter, me are, that someone can be upset that someone said that there's no space in Star Wars fandom for racists. It's, it's easy. Follow the money. Like, the people who are making these videos are those YouTube grifters who monetize hate and divide people and yeah. are purposely intellectually dishonest in order to monetize that because anger and outrage hits the YouTube algorithm a lot better. It's the same reason Fox News has higher ratings than, you know, CNN or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, we should get into speculation. Uh We've done we've done three episodes in an hour uh, hour and a half hour yeah. and forty five minutes that's that's pretty good uh, for us at least <laughs> I mean uh, okay so speculation uh, you know this is a question I asked you after seeing this episode I was saying if, if they now know that Obi Wan can be lured out through Leia or Bail Organa why would they ever stop? Why wouldn't they just keep at it and eventually get to him and, and kill Obi-Wan? Well, I think that, that uh, for one, I think we've already seen some groundwork laid there where they're like, you kidnapped a senator's daughter? Like, Palpatine yeah. is still, at this point in the timeline, the Imperial Senate's not dissolved. The Senate still has some semblance of some power, at least the appearance of it, and Bail is a powerful voice there. So, like... It's not something that Palpatine... Like, Palpatine doesn't get rid of the Senate until he knows the Death Star's working, right? Yeah. Because his grasp on all of the power is bureaucratic in nature, not fear-based, the way it becomes once he has a planet killer. So someone like Bale being affected by this is problematic for him. So them continuing to terrorize someone well-respected, even in the time of the Empire's bail, is probably not good for Palpatine's other machinations. True. Right? Um, and I think the other thing is, is that, like, I think we're going to end in a place where they feel very... There's going to be a finality to it for Obi-Wan and for Anakin. Yeah, when I was talking to you about this after the premiere... I said, I think my guess is either Vader never finds out what Lord Obi-Wan out because it seems like, you know, she kind of did a lot of the stuff, you know, outside the books. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so either that or I, I, I tend to think that maybe at the end of the series, things will be left in a way that Darth Vader actually believes that, that, um, Obi-Wan is dead. I don't think so because the line he says, the line he does have in A New Hope when he first sees him and says, I've been waiting for you, Obi-Wan. Mm. Right? Like, like he's waiting for Obi-Wan to come back out of hiding. What is it going to take to bring Obi-Wan back out? Okay, then maybe that theory is incorrect. Who knows? <laughs> do, do you think... Um... Qui-Gon Jinn, do you think we're going to see Liam appear 
in in this series. I think we're going to hear his voice. I don't know if we're going to see him appear. Um, I think there's been a lot like if 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 we were going to see Qui-Gon appear. I think there's a chance we would have George Lucas would have like put him in at the end of Return of the Jedi. You know what I mean? I think that that Qui-Gon being the pioneer of this technique, there are only certain places or, or, or like he's able to appear on Mortis, right? Which is a nexus of like through which all the force flows. And I think he needs somewhere more powerful. But on the other hand, there's there's sort of theories out there that Luke sees the the ghosts of these Jedi he's interacted with more clearly as he gets stronger in the force. And maybe, maybe, um, maybe we will see Qui-Gon. Maybe we won't, but I'll def- I definitely think we'll hear him. We've already heard his voice repeatedly through these yeah. episodes. Um, so I think we're definitely going to hear him at the very least, but I mean, Liam Neeson, I know he was cagey in that answer a while ago. Like, I don't know. I don't really see myself doing television, but every time star Wars calls, he comes back. Like he keeps doing these cartoons. Like he's doing the voice on uh, the Tales of the Jedi cartoon. Oh, is he? (laughs) Him and his son son is coming back to do um, a young Qui Gon. To me, I think that seals the answer. Yeah. No, I mean that guy. That guy. They've got Lucasfilm has has Liam Neeson on speed dial, and his answer is always yes. I will say this. I um, I kind of hate recaps before TV shows because I'm a person that can read between the lines and oftentimes they're like recapping a thing and I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's going to return. Or do you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. able to figure out what what they're setting Why up. Why they're showing they're rec- you that stuff, yeah. And uh, when they showed the thing about the Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, stuff in the recap I was like okay so sometime in the series he's eventually going to communicate with Kaigon Jin uh, I'm wondering there, there was another part of the recap I don't know anything this is this is literally this is this could be absurd that I'm bringing this up but another part of the recap is they made a point to um, to use the line um, that that uh, Darth Vader or, or Anakin Skywalker is as powerful as Master Windu, and then they put in the clip of of Samuel Jackson as Mace Windu in there. It seems like it's something not necessary for a recap to put in there, unless you're setting something up with Mace Windu. Am I the conspiracy theorist with the notes on the wall and the the strings, or is there is there maybe something here, Brian? They brought back Darth Maul. Who knows? I mean, it's not off the table. <laughs> it's really not off the table. And I honestly think that there's going to be more scenes with Obi Wan and Anakin, like as Anakin, not as Vader. Yeah. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I don't necessarily think we're seeing Mace Windu come back, but I'm going to go back and watch those recaps again, though, because <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? I, I, It's so hard to guess what could possibly happen because Star Wars will do anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's get into the meat of this. Uh, third sister, Reva, why is she so obsessed with Obi-Wan Kenobi? 
and the the th- this theory that's going around online, I'm sure you've heard it, Brian. And what I was alluding to very early on here is the the show opens with the the scene of Order sixty six, and there's a young girl in that scene. If you go to her IMDb, if you even watch the scene, uh, this young black uh, female Jedi Jedi Padawan. If you go to her IMDb, it looks like if you were like, I want to cast a young version of Reva, I'm going to cast this young actress. Um, I know that's not enough to to say for sure, but I think that scene is not just there to add, to give you um, a sense of place and time. Because, I mean, they have the recap for that. I think that scene is there because it's her backstory. And I think that she's so obsessed with Obi-Wan Kenobi because he's the one that abandoned her. He sent out that signal telling uh, all the Jedi to stay away from Coruscant, and she believes he doomed her. So I think that's a pretty compelling theory. I do think that they showed us that moment where the Padawans run for two reasons. One, I still think that there are other Jedi or younglings or something that could appear back. I think Reva is too old to be one of those kids, right? She'd be about 15 years old if that was her. Would she? Because this is how many years after? Ten. I mean, they look... No, I mean, 18 tops, but I mean, she's very easily in her her mid-twenties at the earliest. I'm trying to find the age of that actress. (laughs) Frantically scrolling. Oh, here she is. Uh, Jedi Youngling is the... Doesn't have her age on here. I mean, I, those younglings at that age are between uh, 6 and 10, right? So she'd be like like 20 at the most, and I feel like that's probably a little young. I think there's going to be something that that ties into that moment. I think we're going to end on something with that moment um, because I think Deborah Chow's the sort of filmmaker who's going to tie things up the last image of the show is going to be related directly to that first image. Um, but I also wonder if, but I think, I think Reva feeling that Obi-Wan is doomed her is a possibility. I think Obi-Wan is definitely going to be factor into whatever her, her, her backstory is. But I think that that moment was also chosen because it's sort of the birthplace of every theme that's going on through this story right it's it's this this idea of being on the run it's this idea of being hunted it's this idea of duty it's this idea of sacrifice like it encapsulates all of the themes we're watching through everything else and all of the other characters on both sides through that so it's a really smart bit of of filmmaking and literary allegory whether it ties into any specific character or not it ties into all of them i I just think it's 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 more than what they're letting on it's not about her proving herself or elevating her position it seems a lot more personal and when she sees that jedi symbol on the wall she almost like reaches out i don't know it seems like there's something something that was also that's also the symbol that's on his armor and during the Clone Wars. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, 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 I will be, I think whatever Reva's motivation is for wanting to hunt down Obi-Wan Kenobi, whether it's as superficial as wanting to gain Vader's favor or whether it's as um, in-depth as her holding him responsible for her fate and need to join the Inquisitors, I'll be happy either way because Moses Ingram is just a really fun actor to watch. It's She's just really good, and I, I think she's bringing a really interesting energy to this character in this show. Yeah. Um, do you think there's any place for that character to, to, to turn good? What's the opposite of break bad? Turn good. <laughs> turn that light back on. Maybe, yeah. maybe. No, I think that there probably is. I think if Obi-Wan could get through to her, maybe, maybe that's the thing that makes him think he could turn Anakin back. But I I don't know. Like I also wonder if there's enough real estate in three hours for that arc to to pay off. Yeah. Uh, okay, we got three episodes left. Is there anything else to speculate on? Um, I think whether or not they're going to use Corrin Horn in future filmmaking is <laughs> is a big one. Um. Like, I think that that's, I think, I think that would be fun. Or maybe if that's a tie to the Rogue Squadron stuff. And we still don't really know what that is. No, I mean, we know it happens after Force Awakens, after the sequel trilogy. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Um, I think the big, the big thing is is wondering what it is going to take to make Obi-Wan believe that there's still good in Anakin and to try to bring it back out of him. Because I think that fits with his fighting style, right? Like, I don't want to hurt you, you're my brother, that kind of thing, is, is sort of what his fighting style tells me is going through Obi-Wan's mind. And him trying to bring Anakin back... Um, it's going to be really interesting. And that's what I'm, I'm curious to see what that thing is. Yeah. I will say, I, I know this isn't really the place for it, but coming off a of celebration, even though they didn't announce any movies, like the slate of stuff that is on the table for star Wars is just got me so excited. I'm just going to list this off. Lego star Wars summer vacation comes out in August. Andor comes out in August. Tales of the Jedi this fall. Bad Batch season two this fall. High Republic phase two in October. Vision season two in the spring of 2023. Young Jedi Adventures in spring 2023. Mandalorian season three is going to be February 2023. Ahsoka probably sometime in the middle of next year. Uh, Skeleton Crew late 2023. Jedi Survivor sometime next year Taiko Titi's Star Wars movie is dated late 2023 I don't think that's going to happen and then in Andor season 2 is filming in the fall 2022 so that's probably late 2023 Acolyte is probably early 2024 and High Republic's uh, phase 3 is probably late 2024 so that's like the next two years of Star Wars right there and that's just the stuff that's announced 
I don't know. Yeah. That, that just has me excited. So I think it's a good time to be a Star Wars fan, even though they're the it, it isn't on the big screen necessarily. It's it's a lot of small screen stuff. Uh, I, I am really psyched to see what what is coming. Yeah, no, me too. I, I think that's one of the things that like everybody was like, oh, there's they didn't talk anything on the big screen, but I think they just talked about their slate for the next two years, and they did talk about the one thing they're putting on the big screen in the next two years, and that's Indiana Jones 5. Yeah. Wasn't was that a hell of a thing? I, I, if, well, yeah, that was cool. John Williams performing uh, 90 years old. Incredible. Um, by the way, that theme, great. We, we haven't talked about the music, but it's no. the, the same composer as Loki. What's her name? Uh, Natalie. What? No. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Natalie something. Um, I'm pulling it up right now. It is Natalie Holt is her name. Um, yeah. She did all the stuff except for the the main Obi-Wan theme. But I, I think she's doing a good job. And um, anyways, okay, we'll, we'll be back next week. If you have any speculation, any thoughts, you can send it to us at peter at uh, Brian, where can we find more of your work online? Um, you can find me. I've been writing pretty furiously the last week or so covering celebration and kenobi for slash film um this last week and i'll continue my kenobi coverage on slash film if you want to listen to me talk about star wars uh in a format that's not this i do host the full of sith podcast alongside holly fry from the stuff you missed in history podcast and her and i talk about star wars all the time there every week at fullsith.com i got to meet her in person for the first time at celebration which is cool. Yeah, she's she's great. Yeah, um, you can find more of my work at Slash Home. If you if you're curious about Celebration, uh, I, I, Ordinary Adventures, we put up our first of our Celebration videos. We're gonna have two Celebration videos. Uh, this one showcases a lot of like what was going on at the Mandalorian experience, which is just incredible. Uh, go check that out. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, this podcast is published every weekday on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please rate and read this podcast and apple Podcasts. tell your friends spread the word we'll see you tomorrow this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.